0: is
1: For many of us, we begin in faith, but then we begin to fear and doubt. I know I do. Where you begin to walk, by faith, but then it gets hard. It doesn't always work the right way. Things go wrong. And then we begin to say, oh, maybe God's not in this. But really, for many of us, the problem when we stop trusting the Lord and doing what the Lord has said is that we end up pulling ourselves out of things before the miracle that God wants to bring happens.
0: You've probably heard that prayer can move mountains. And while God does sometimes answer your prayers by doing remarkable things, Often, the mountains he moves are found in your own heart. In today's message, Pastor Daniel explains that prayer isn't an automatic get what you want button, but a chance for you to humble yourself before the Lord and seek Him. Then, you'll be able to see what's broken in your life and let Him restore you. Now, here's Pastor Daniel in Luke chapter 1 as he begins his message, the song.
1: there's just something so powerful about music. I mean, all of us like music on some level. Music has a tendency to be kind of the soundtrack to our lives. It's amazing how if you put on a song, I could it can put me right to a specific place and time in my life. I remember sometimes when I hear some of those, you know, those 80s rock ballads, it brings me right back to the middle school dance, the awkward dancing, socially distant dancing, you know, that, that you did when you were a kid. If you parents allowed you to do that kind of stuff, you know, but then all of a sudden it's like music has this great tendency to be able to frame the most important moments of our lives, and for some of the, you know, the most famous songs, they happen in a moment because something is going on, right, where all of a sudden a moment calls for a a musician or an artist to be able to express what is happening in that moment. Now, oftentimes, you know, we think so much about, Art and music, we think about people who are famous, but oftentimes people who are famous, they don't even enjoy what they're doing anymore. It just becomes a job. Whereas what is really beautiful is someone who just loves music and they're just hanging out, just playing their guitar in their room. And, and in a lot of ways, what I believe that God wants to do in all of our lives is He wants to give us a song. He wants our lives to sing a song, and, and the song that he wants our lives to sing is an expression of who God is and what he's doing in our lives, and it doesn't matter if if the song that you sing, if it doesn't ever happen from a pulpit or you never end up as a worship leader. What really matters is that you're willing to sing the song that God has given you in the journey of life, and there's no doubt that as life continues and as different things begin to go on, there are different parts of, there are different songs to sing. Like if you look at the book of Psalms, there are songs of praise and there are songs of lament. You know, there are sad songs and there are excitable songs and excited songs. And with each season of life, there's a new song to be sung. And and really when we are aware of the work that God is doing in our lives, we want to be able to move from just experiencing things to moving it into, into praise. And that idea that new song, God will give us a new song, is that for each day, there are different needs, different things that need to be expressed. So I bring all this up because we've been doing this humble, sacred series, and we've been looking at the different circumstances surrounding the announcement of the birth of Jesus. Then, of course, we saw recently Mary going to visit her her relative Elizabeth. They're both pregnant, and all that goes on, but really what we are going to see today is that Mary sings her own song. It's commonly called the Magnificat. And really, it's the song of Mary. And Mary now is moved to just pure praise because of all that God has done. And I love this because really what we're going to see is we're going to see that Mary has a song in her heart because of the unique work that God is doing. And by extension, as we've been talking about, I believe God wants to birth a unique song in all of our hearts, given the unique things that we're going for. Now, for Mary, obviously, this song it might be one of the most famous songs in history. I mean, you know, you think about the most famous songs that have ever been around, you know, it's like, you know, no, none of these songs have been around for like thousands of years, except if you find them in the scriptures. You know, and so deeply studied what Mary has to say in the song that she's singing. So in order to get at this song, I want you to open up your Bibles to Luke chapter 1, verses 46 to 55. Luke chapter 1, verses 46 to 55, the song of Mary, the Magnificat. Now, I think it's important that we say from the outset that there is no biblical evidence that Mary was a musician of any sort. So I think sometimes we have this idea that if I'm going to write a song, like, you know, I have to be musically trained. Well, actually, we don't know that Mary knew anything about, you know, about anything with, as it relates to music. But God has given her a song and she's going to sing it. So that's what it says. Verse 46, it says, And Mary said, My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit has rejoiced in God my Savior, for he has regarded the lowly state of his maidservant. For behold, henceforth... All generations will call me blessed. For he who is mighty has done great things for me, and holy is his name. So what we learned from the outset is, Mary sings the song that God works for the humble. God works for the humble. And I literally get this right out of the middle of verse 48 where it says, for he has regarded the lowly state of his maidservant for behold, henceforth, all generations shall call me blessed. For he who is mighty has done great things for me. So God is doing this extraordinary work in this lowly maidservant named Mary. And Mary is really, this song is being birthed out of her own joy of what God is doing. Like where it says, my soul magnifies the Lord. That word magnifies literally means to declare the greatness of God. So at this point, after the announcement of Gabriel to Mary... And then all of a sudden she goes to see Elizabeth and the way Elizabeth responds and the way John the Baptist and Elizabeth's womb responds. Now she's like, my soul is declaring the greatest. It's overwhelmed with who the Lord is and my spirit within me is rejoicing in God my Savior. Why? Because even though I am humble and lowly, God now has made a way for all generations to call me blessed See, you know, the idea is she's like, I'm humble, but yet all subsequent generations will know that I got to be the mother of the Messiah. Like, she realized that what God was doing was changing, it's changing history, changing eternity. And we have this tendency to think that if I'm going to have a big impact, it needs to be, you know, not humble. That that God can't use humility. And it's the exact opposite here. God works for those who are humble. Of course, James chapter four, verse 10 says, humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord and he will lift you up. Isn't that a beautiful verse? See, when we, according to James chapter four, verse 10, when we humble ourselves, then God can lift us up. But what we have a tendency to do is we want to lift ourselves up. And when we lift ourselves up, God isn't going to come alongside and work on our behalf. God loves it when somebody in lowliness and in humility, not with pride and arrogance, but just with simplicity, just says, Lord, I humble myself before you. And Lord's like, okay, you're going to humble yourself. Now I'm going to exalt you. I'm going to do a work here. And we don't want humility for the exaltation's sake. We want humility because God is God and we are not. See, Mary gets this because she's saying that for he who is mighty, the mighty one God has done great things for me and God is holy and holy is his name. And she's saying because God is great and I am humble, I realize that all that is happening is not because of me, but it's because of the will of the Lord. And when we realize that God loves to work on behalf of the humble, that reality will change our lives at street level. I once heard it said that if we defend ourselves, God will let us. And I remember always being like, what does that mean? And really what I think that that little phrase means is that we don't need to defend ourselves because God will do it for us. And But let's just be honest. Don't when something's going on, don't you want to defend yourself? I know I do. I just want to be like, no, no, this is why, it means this is, it, no, what you're saying, it's not really the truth, that's not what, where my heart is at. We want to defend our position, but then I'm like, oh, no, no, but if we just humble ourselves and say, hey, I'm sorry that it bothered you. you, don't even get into it. At some point, God, on your behalf, will bring to light what's really going on. Because God works on behalf of the humble. And the humble simply trusts the Lord. You know, you think about this idea of God works for the humble it made me think of uh, 2 Chronicles chapter 7, verse 14. You know, it, it's a beautiful verse that we hear it bandied about a lot. If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and I will forgive their sin and I'll heal their land. Now, you know what I think is so important about this verse is this verse is almost always used to encourage prayer, but it doesn't only say if my people who are called by my name will pray, it says if they will humble themselves. So you can pray and not be humble, right? Like We can pray in a self-centered way. And not only does it say that we should humble ourselves, but we should pray and we're seeking God's face, and what do we do? And we turn from our wicked ways. See, here's the thing. Prayer is the world in which we live. And in order to truly pray effectively, first we humble ourselves, then we pray and we seek the Lord's face. And then as we pray and seek the Lord's face, then God encourages us to turn from our wickedness, turn from the things that we do that are not glorifying to God or not blessing to people. So we have to humble ourselves, pray, seek the Lord's face and turn from our wickedness. And then it says, then I will hear from heaven and I will forgive your sin and I'll hear your land. So I'm not saying that we shouldn't think of 2 Chronicles seven fourteen 14 as, uh, it's wrong to think of it as an exhortation to pray. The thing is, it's not only an exhortation to pray. It's an exhortation to humble ourselves, and then pray, and seek God's face, and as God is revealing our stuff to us, then we turn from our wicked ways, and then God can move. So it's not just praying gets God to move. It's this holistic reality of a life that is repentant where we're humbling ourselves. We're coming like Mary and we're saying, Lord, you see the lowliest state of us as your kids. And Lord, because you are great and because you are mighty and because you are holy... And I'm none of those things, Lord. Now I'm completely dependent upon you. So I'm asking that you work on my behalf. And as we do that, we humble ourselves. And we ask God, we say, God, we don't know what to pray for. But Lord, we want your will to be done. And Lord, we want to seek your face. As we're seeking God's face, God's like, hey, this area of your life, yeah, that's proud. Hey, that's arrogant. Hey, you're being super selfish right there. Hey, that's pretty judgmental. And then we turn from those things. And as we are being transformed by the Lord, as we're seeking him and humbling ourselves, now all of a sudden, God's like, now I can pour out blessings." upon my people because now their heart is in that humble place where I can lavish blessings upon them and then my blessings won't be turned into a problem for them. So we want to be people who are humble just as our Lord is humble. Mary realizes that none of what's happening in her life has anything to do with her except for the fact that she realized that a great God is doing a work in a humble woman. Now, from there, it says this in verse 50. It says, And his mercy is on those who fear him from generation to generation. He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the imagination of their hearts. He has put down the mighty from their thrones and exalted the lowly. He has filled the hungry with good things And the rich he has sent away empty. And really what we learn here is that really in Mary's song, she's praising the fact that God works in unexpected ways. Because everything that's going on here, it's almost like I didn't expect to see that happen. The idea that God's mercy is on those who fear him from generation to generation. Now, the reason we, we don't often equate fearing the Lord with God's mercy. Now, part of that is because the, when it speaks of fearing the Lord, it's literally speaking of kind of really revering who the, who the Lord is. We, we revere God's name. We, we have utmost respect for God. Right, And we do fear God in the sense that one, we, as I always like to say, that the Bible says it's a terrible thing to fall into the hands of a living God. So God as authority and judge, God who sees all things as they truly are, and God who is perfectly holy, it is a scary thing for imperfect people who have never been holy, left to our own devices one day of our lives, to be in the presence of, of a perfect God. So so we respect God in his greatness, we respect God in his authority to be able to judge our lives for what they are, and we also, as I always like to remind people, we want to fear severing the relationship we have with God and breaking God's heart through our rebellion. And I always think about this because, you know, it's true in every relationship, if you really care about someone, you should fear breaking their heart. You should do things to make sure that their heart isn't broken. There's there's a number of things that if we really care about somebody, we're going to go out of our way to try and do certain things. Like in any relationship, there is an, an aspect of compromise that happens in order to keep that relationship strong right? And that's true whether it's with your sweetheart or your closest friends, with your kids, uh, on the job. There's things like, well, I wouldn't do it that way if I was a boss, but my boss has asking me to do it this way, and it really doesn't matter, so I'm just going to do it that way, right? And we all know what it's like when somebody doesn't do the things that we're asking them to do and we need them to do in order to be happy, because you're like, don't you care about me? Is that the way we respond to that stuff? I thought you cared about me. Why are you doing that, right? Like, I always use the example, if my wife hated Mexican food, which isn't the truth, she loves herself Mexican food. But if she hated Mexican food, and I was like, hey, sweetie, I, just, I was just thinking about you, and I wanted to bless you, so here's a burrito. She'd be like, Daniel, you don't like a burrito. I thought you cared about me. Like, you know, like it, would, it would feel weird to bring her something she doesn't like. And in the exact same way, we should fear bringing God things he doesn't like. We should fear re- living in rebellion against God. And so God's mercy, of course, is upon those who fear him. So when we respect who the Lord is, then he bestows his mercy upon those no matter what generation they're in. It also says he has shown strength with his arm and he has scattered the proud in the imagination of their hearts. Now I always like this when it says he showed his strength with his arm because it, literally it's it's the idiom is that God's flexing. It's like God's you know sun's out guns out. God's just showing up. He's showing his his big old muscle. He's got the bulging vein. He's got huge biceps. And, and, and it's God is so strong and in God's strength he has scattered the proud and the imagination of their hearts. And so the the idea is that you would think that the proud the arrogant those who have it all together who really think that they're hot stuff. God shows that he stronger than that. And a biblical example of this, of course, is, is the, uh, what happened at the Tower of Babel. Remember, at that point, humanity was really running in rebellion against God. And they're like, you know what we're going to do? We're going to build a tower that's so tall, it's going to reach all the way to heaven. Really what they're saying is, we're going to build our stairway to heaven. We're going to find our way into the presence of God through our own ingenuity. And they were so proud, except for the fact that they didn't realize that God wasn't going to have that because you can't work your way to heaven. You can't build your stairway to heaven. There might be a lady who's sure that all that glitters is gold, you know, and she's climbing a stairway. No, she, you can't get there. So God confused their languages. God scattered them in their own pride. And in a lot of ways, what we realize is not only does God work on behalf of the humble, but God also actively works against the proud. Because when the proud fulfills the things that they're hoping to do, then they take credit for it, which in effect is living outside of reality because you can't do those things. You don't, none of us do anything of our own volition. We do things that we want to do, but we do them empowered by God. There's nothing that we have that we don't have as a gift, like the breath in your lungs. We, you did not ask for that. That's provided for you. The ability of your body to digest food, you didn't do that. God has done that for you. The ability to have food, God has given you that. See, all these different realities are in the hands of the Lord. And so when we walk in pride, God actively works against us. And so I'm reminded that not only does God resist the proud, that's what the Bible teaches, and he gives grace to the humble. So if we walk in pride, God's going to show his strength by scattering us in the midst of all that's going on. But he doesn't only scatter the proud. Notice, he has put down the mighty from their thrones. So again, those who are exalted, like man, the rich get richer. The, power, the powerful get more powerful. No, not ultimately. He puts down the mighty from their thrones, but he also exalts the lowly. See that? See, that's why God works in unexpected ways. That's why people say that God's kingdom is upside down. Or I'd like to say God's kingdom is right side up. Our lives are upside down right? Because we have this tendency to think that the powerful, they're going to be exalted, and the lowly, they're just going to keep getting lower. But in God's ways, God works in unexpected ways. And those who are humble get exalted. And then also, he has filled the hungry with good things. So those who are without, God fills them with good things. And the rich, God has sent away empty. So in this way, it shows that what, the way God works is God works in unexpected ways as the ways that we would expect given the way the world that we live in works. And Mary's praising God for the unexpected ways in which God works. And this reminds me of Isaiah chapter 55, verses eight and nine, those classic verses. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, nor are my ways your ways my ways, says the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. Now, when we read something like this, the question for us becomes, how can we embrace the unexpected ways in which God wants to work? And in a lot of ways, this is when we start looking at things through the lens of the spirit, through the word of God. The word begins to show us that, hey, the way you think it ought to go, it's not always going to go that way. And our culture says, listen, it's about you getting power and getting more power and stepping over people for power. And It's like, no, no, no. God's going to put down those people on the thrones. He's actually going to exalt the humble. So he's like, no, if you humble yourself, God will do a work. Of course, Jesus said it this way, that when you go into a banquet, take the lowest seat. Because when they see that you're there, they're going to move you up forward. See, the idea is that, like, like they always have to make sure that when I walk in the room, everyone stops and pays homage or whatever. When all that stuff's going on, that's just pride. But if you come in just humble, just like another person, and if God wants to do a work, he's going to push you forward. And so the key for us is to maintain that that humble reality where we just say, like Mary, hey, who are we? Like, even if God does something amazing and, and you're like, man, I'm being obedient, listen, We're just doing what we're supposed to be doing. We're just unprofitable servants. That's what Jesus said. Like we do what we're supposed to do. And it's a good thing to do what we're supposed to do. But God works for the humble and God works in unexpected ways because those who are hungry, God will fill up. And those who are full of everything walk away empty And ultimately. And so for us, it's about trusting that God will ultimately even everything out. And our job is to join God in the things that He wants to do in the here and now.
0: Jesus is real. Not only does music impact your emotions, but sometimes what you sing gives a glimpse of what's going on in your heart and head. Well, today Pastor Daniel shared that Mary's song, what we call the Magnificat, displayed her heart for God. Mary was amazed by God and how he works. You learned that Mary's heart was humble and she was grateful that God would allow her to be part of what he was doing in the world. I want to thank you so much for listening to Jesus is Real
1: program. And I realize that there are many of you, you're not a born again follower of Jesus. You've never put your faith and trust in Jesus. But as you've been listening, you've been saying to yourself, I want to begin to follow Jesus. I want to help you do that right now. We're going to pray a simple prayer that just acknowledges who Jesus is in your life. So if that's if you're saying yes to Jesus for the very first time, pray this prayer with me. Say, Jesus, I'm giving you my life. Thank you for saving me. I believe in you, your life, your death on the cross, and your resurrection. Forgive me of my sins. Fill me with your Holy Spirit. And I ask it in Jesus' name. And we all said together, amen. For those of you who just received Jesus as your personal Lord and Savior, I'm so excited for you. I want to know that you did it though, because I want to help you take your next steps with him. So pull out your mobile phone, text the word SAVED to 51400. S-A-V-E-D to 51400, and my team will get in touch with you. We want to get some more
0: resources in your hands to help you on this journey. Now, my team, we want to share some stuff with you, so don't go anywhere. Thanks, Pastor Daniel. You know, the Bible says that when one person comes to Jesus, the angels in heaven rejoice. And we rejoice with them today if you just prayed that prayer with Pastor Daniel. Again, to receive some resources that are going to help you in this new journey with Jesus, take out your mobile phone right now and text the word SAVED, S-A-V-E-D, to 51400. Join us again here on Jesus Is Real Radio when we'll continue exploring Mary's song to God. Pastor Daniel will share that Mary saw what was happening to her in light of Scripture. You'll discover that God always works according to what's laid out in His Word. When you cling to the truth found in the Bible, not only will you have a firm foundation, but you'll have the right framework with which to judge what is true and good.